I just knew all of the problems we were having, a lot of it tied back to subcontractors and not having control over what was going to happen in the work site. And then also the margins were lower than what we were making off baths and windows. And, you know, just from a consistency standpoint, having employees, I just knew we could have a lot more traction, you know, moving the ball forward. And, you know, we, we dropped, you know, I cut half the business, but we still grew that next year and, and did about $5 million. So okay. it's not like it was a massive cut at the end of the day. And what we cut out was lower profitable stuff anyways. So it really, it really didn't hurt that bad. This is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast, brought to you by G4 Marketing. Interviews with today's top home improvement entrepreneurs about marketing, sales, money, mindset, and lifestyle. Now, here's your host, Brian Kaskavalsian. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. This is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group, and I have got with me today, Jerry Fleener. I've known Jerry for a very, very long time. I started to work with Jerry when he was running Bordner in St. Louis, Kansas City. Kansas City. Kansas yep. City. All right. And so got to spend a lot of time with him. And one of the things that I've always been very impressed with Jerry is just his ability to get things done. And he's a hell of an operator of this business. I'm just an absolute hell of an operator. And so we're going to talk a little bit about getting stuff done. I ran into Jerry and his lovely wife last week, no, the week before at Top 500. So it was great to catch up. And I said to him, hey, you've got to be on the podcast. So here he is gracious enough to spend some time with me. So Jerry. Can you give everybody like the two minute version of your story? Where'd you start and where are you today? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, like you mentioned, I was originally in Kansas City working for my father and my uncle's family business. Started on a roof actually in 1991 after I graduated high school in between college. So that's kind of what was my first experience dealing with home improvements in any way. And then uh Eventually moved into sales and then running the business at one point, along with my brother-in-law back there. We kind of co-managed the business. And then in 2012, I moved to Colorado. Supposed to be temporary thing, hailstorm chasing type deal. And if you've ever been to Colorado, it's easy to fall in love and never want to leave. And so that's basically what happened. We opened up a permanent office. And then in 2018, my dad retired. And so I ended up buying this office from him and my uncles and then my brother-in-law bought out my dad and, you know, they've kind of gone their way and I'm doing my own thing here and uh, went from being mainly exteriors to really just doing interior work at this point. So, you know, we do uh, cabinet refacing, bath remodel. So we're a luxury bath dealer, a lot of one day bath. That's the majority of our business. And then also windows and doors. So that's pretty much where we're at today. We have an office here in Colorado Springs and just recently opened up an office in Denver as well. Cool. How many salespeople? 14, I think is what we've got right now. Wow, 14. And yeah. about how many jobs do you think you'll complete this year? Probably around a thousand jobs, I would say this year. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. So in the few years that I haven't seen you, you have grown quite a bit. 
<laughs> quite a bit because the I think the last time we talked, you were still mainly exteriors. I think you had three or four salespeople running a nice business, but growing. yeah, it, I mean, I think for us, we were doing so many different products, whether it was roofing, siding, stucco, soffit fascia gutter, and then still doing windows and doors. Just for me, it really made sense for us to pair back to things that get a little more streamlined, just a handful of products. And I really wanted in-house employees. I didn't want to subcontract out anything. And so if you're in the roofing business, it's very difficult to do that, especially yeah. in a hail market. You know, I, I know that roofers can be very successful in areas where they don't have hail. You can get some consistency and things like that. But I really wanted a predictable business. And I, I feel like the products that we sell are very predictable. And it just boils down to marketing, right? Like if you know how to market, generate leads, you can continue to grow your business and be successful and it to be somewhat predictable at least. Right. Which is the ideal, right? Is Correct, have, yeah. yeah, the processes and systems in place that create predictable results. Yep. So let's go back. 2012, you said, was when you started there mm -hmm. uh, in Colorado Springs. How long did it take you to hit, say, 5 million in sales? You know, probably four or five years. I think we were there. And a lot of that was due to a hailstorm, right? You know, uh, coming into a market. It was a learning process for me to really learn how to to market the business. When I was in Kansas City, we were very fortunate, probably the largest roofing contractor in Kansas City at the time. Very well known. In 2011, we you know we had a hailstorm there and got 15,000 leads wow. out of one hailstorm. And that was no advertising, just the phone rang. So then coming here and starting new, there was a little bit of a learning curve, but I've been fortunate. I was able to hire a good marketing manager and, and he was able to help us steadily grow up until he just actually just retired a couple weeks ago. So we have a new director of marketing. Oh, wow. So when did you make the switch from exteriors to bath? That would have been 2016, 17, somewhere in there. Again, you made that decision because you wanted something that was more consistent, something you could market every single day and get leads for every single day and install every single day quick and turn your money. Correct. So one of the things is we won't sell a product we can't install in a week or less. So just that, that's the thing with siding and roofing is those things drag on. And the one thing I learned is after two weeks, no matter how well the job's going and how clean you keep the place, people just want you gone. They don't want you around. Yep. So that's why we don't do full-blown bathroom or kitchen remodel either. But keep it simple, get in and out quick, stuff with good margins, you know, things like that. So we were this week, part of Tuesday and then all Wednesday and Thursday, our wealthy contractor mastermind group was in town for our final meeting of the year. Mm -hmm. And one of the people, well, there's two of them, but one of the people in the group is in a very interesting niche. And what he does is full scale conversions of units into rentals. And okay. yeah, it's a really interesting niche. And the business model is what's flawed. And it's exactly what you just said. His jobs can take months. Now they're 150 yeah. and $160,000, but they can take two and three months. Mm -hmm. And everybody else in the room is in replacement like you are. Right. Yeah. And so his thing was, I think I need to, and, and by the way, he's selling millions and millions and millions of dollars of this, 
the problem is, is as you said, after two weeks, they hate you. And then the, <laughs> the job drags on, your money drags on. And right. a lot of people are stuck in that in that business. So it's very interesting the way that you said that it's got to be a week or less, mm-hmm. but ideally it's a day or two, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, baths, we can definitely be out within a couple of days. Windows, a lot of times a day or two. Kitchens eat with cabinet refacing. That's the one that's going to take us a little yeah. longer, but typically most jobs can be finished within a week. Yeah. Which is amazing. And people yeah. are thrilled. You know, you redid my kitchen in, in a week. So when you started to make that conversion, give us a sense of how big the company was in 2016 when you decided to make that shift. Yeah, we were doing about $7 million at the time, and okay. we basically cut our business in half. I just cut it off and started over and, and replaced people and moved things around and, and just started growing you know, from there. Okay, so what's interesting about what you just said, and I kind of thought that that's where you were going to go with it, is there is also somebody in the group, another person in the group, that there is a division of their business that they just will Mm -hmm. not let go of. And everybody knows, because they're not making the money they should be making, everybody knows that that's the division that's bringing them down, but they will not let go of it. So it takes a lot of guts to lop off half of your business. What was the thinking process behind that? How did you reconcile that with yourself? Because I would imagine the minute you came up with the idea, there was all kinds of resistance in your head. Are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? Your little Jerry must've been screaming at you. Surprisingly, no. Okay. Um, I just knew all of the problems we were having, a lot of it tied back to subcontractors and not having control over what was gonna happen in the work site. And then also the margins were lower than what we were making off baths and windows. And, you know, just from a consistency standpoint, having employees, I just knew we could have a lot more traction, you know, moving the ball forward. And, you know, we, we dropped, you know, I cut half the business, but we still grew that next year and and did about $5 million. So it's not like it was a massive cut at the end of the day. And what we cut out was lower profitable stuff anyways. Yeah. It really didn't hurt that bad. Yeah. Well, because most people think when they get, you know, when you propose that idea to them, they think, oh, my God, there's no way we're going to be able to survive. We're going to this, we're going to that. But you knew your numbers, right? Inside and out. You knew exactly what was going to happen when you made that, that shift. Do you want to talk a little bit about that control over finance, that understanding that you had that allowed you to do that? Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm the greatest with the numbers. You know, I'm a visionary type guy. As we were talking earlier, you know, I've really hired somebody to run my business who, who focuses more on that. For me, honestly, it was just more of a gut feeling. I mean, I knew the numbers enough to know that cutting lower margin stuff and adding higher margin stuff and having consistency and control in the long run was going to be better. Now we had to shore up some overhead things and make a few changes there. But that's just part of it, right? You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna cut back your sales and your installs and your revenue, you gotta you gotta make some changes in some other places. Okay, so you are saying what you're saying is, oh, I'm the visionary, and I brought in people to do that. Yes, which I know you have that skill set. But before you had that skill set, are you telling me that you would not look at your financial statements until the end of the year? Never said that. 
always review financial statements. Ah, okay. That's, I mean, that's, the one, the that's one, where I, I was mean, getting. Actually, I, I looked at my financial statements the other day. I mean, we're halfway through the through the month and, yep. you know, I want to know, you know, kind of where things stand, even though I know it's not 100% accurate. It still gives me some sort of a feel of what's going on. Mm-hmm. It also allows me to know I can pull reports and compare what's I show completed inside of lead perfection versus what's billed. So I know if accounting's missing something and they haven't billed everything, there's always keep an eye on that stuff. Yeah, good. That's what I thought. Because, you know, in your in your humbleness, which you've always that there was one thing I always really loved about working with you when we were working closer together all those years back and really respected about you was how humble you were because you were you ran the largest roofing company in in the state and you could have been a real pill, <laughs> but you were always really cool and humble. And so you say those things and I know what. You know, I, I kind of know that, well, wait a minute, he's being a little humble here because you know your numbers, you knew your numbers inside and out because you got financial statements on a regular basis every single month, right? You knew exactly where you were. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to. I mean, it's you can't just fly blindly by any means. It, it, it's funny, I was talking to my accountant and he was saying he has, you know, people who don't even look at their financial statements. They don't right. look at QuickBooks. They don't, you know, update stuff on a regular basis that they just wait till the end of the year. And I, I mean, I, I couldn't do that. I mean, I, we've gotten big enough now for sure that there's no way possible you could operate that way. Jerry, you, you would be surprised at how many business owners don't have a real grip or understanding on their finances. And it's almost like, you know, it's checkbook management. If there's money in the checking account, we must be doing okay. And in, it's always scary to run a business that way. But in these times, especially, it's really scary because there change is going to come at some point. And if you don't understand every number in your business and, and if you're not nimble, and you don't have a way of adjusting when this happens. We, it was funny in the in the meeting, we were talking about this thing that hey, this is this can't last. It's not sustainable. One of the guys Agreed. said, "Winter, winter is coming." You know, mm-hmm. I would agree. Yeah, and we don't know when. Mm-mm. We have no idea. We don't know what it's going to look like. We just know there's going to be some sort of contraction. So, marketing wise. Let's go back to that because mm-hmm. you basically had to, when you cut off part of the business, you now had to ramp up the other part of the marketing side of it because it's, it's a leads business. You had to bring in yep. leads. How did you go about that? And what I mean by that is kind of like, did you say, okay, we want to do $5 million. And in order to do make up that other one and a half million dollars, we have to do, we have to get this many leads. And in order to get this many leads, we got to do this and this. Is that kind of how you looked at it? Or how do you look at that? Builder Prime is changing the game for home improvement contractors. Imagine having everything you need to help your business grow in one place. CRM, Estimating marketing automation with SMS, production management software, and now call center dialer integration, all wrapped into one easy to use package. And it's never been easier to switch CRMs. Hundreds of contractors trust Builder Prime 
to grow their businesses with powerful reporting tools to see which leads are making money, which sales reps are the top performers, and where to optimize for the greatest impact. We're talking about winning more jobs, boosting productivity, and delighting your customers. Are you ready to fuel your business growth even faster without all the daily frustrations of your current tech stack? You owe it to yourself, your team, and your business to learn why everyone is switching over to Builder Prime, the only true does-it-all CRM for home improvement contractors. Head over to BuilderPrime.com and request a personalized demo with an expert today. Well, like I said, marketing has been an evolution for us. You know, back then I wasn't the best at it. I was very fortunate to hire a gentleman who was very good at it. And he's really helped propel our business over the last several years, actually. And so I give him a lot of credit for that understanding where things were. We were always heavy in shows and events, you know, working 150 plus shows events per year. Uh, That's just always been a mainstay. The biggest thing for us was when COVID hit. Early in the year, we had really had no money budgeted at all for anything other than shows and events, just because it was such a heavy time of the year for us. So we got caught a little flat-footed. So from a marketing standpoint, I learned a a very valuable lesson when COVID hit, which is don't have all your eggs in one basket. you got to be completely diversified from a marketing standpoint. Absolutely. Yeah. How many lead sources would you say you have right now? 20-ish. I mean, we've got several lead aggregators, you know, pay-per-click, SEO. We do a ton of TV. We're on probably seven or eight TV stations up and down the front range. That's a big portion of our our marketing and and budget. Do some pay-for-performance newspaper as well, although that's kind of waned off, waned away a little bit here in the last year. Why? You know, I I can't really put my finger on it. It was very, very effective for us and and had a 10% cost of marketing. That's kind of what we were tied in with the vendors on. And uh, just all of a sudden, we quit getting responses from it. And and I I don't know if it's just, it tends to be our clientele, which is a little on the older side. And I don't know if they're just being more cautious than they have due to COVID and they're not calling as much. So I, I really don't know what the what the reason is for it. Yeah. And you're talking specifically newspapers, I'm going to guess. Correct. So yeah. we're in seven publications. I think we're down to only one or two at wow. this point, just because the others, they weren't producing anything. And you know, the nice thing about that is we're getting a lot of free branding at the very least from it. You know, people are seeing our ads right. day in, day out, you know, that unfortunately that's kind of gone away. But the good thing is shows and events have come back. And so, you know, whenever we have shows and events, it it always makes for a good next week or two after that. And I'm excited. January's coming. We start January to June is our big event season. So it'll be be game on. Everybody's getting a little bit of of a break here for 45 days. But after that, it's back to hitting it hard. Yeah. What would you say? I mean, what for you is the minimum number of lead sources that you want to have on the board at any given time? I honestly don't know. I don't know that there is a minimum. I want every lead source I can possibly get. Yeah. I mean, we're constantly looking, constantly looking at different lead aggregators to LeedsCon about a month ago in Vegas, trying to find more people who could sell us good quality leads. And, you know, that's a process trying to understand what's a good lead coming from these people and what's not a good lead for us. I think the the next venture for us is we're gonna we're gonna get back into canvassing we've done it in the past with limited success we'd have some really good months and some really bad months and 
But I think with my new director of marketing, she's got a background in canvassing and is excited to get it going early next year. Probably around February, we'll start hiring and training for it to launch that. So one of the things that you said earlier is, you know, your ability to get things done through other people. You bring on people to fill roles in your business. So you're basically working on your business, not in your business, as we all like to say from Michael Gerber. So I guess, how do you do that? What was your process for that? I know it was something you were used to, but Mm -hmm. I'm just, if we're talking to somebody out there that's struggling there, because most of the time it's us, the owner that's in the way of our growth, because we Mm -hmm. hold on to doing things that we should not be doing, that other people should, we should bring in people that can do it so that we don't have to do it. But how does somebody, how do you get started with something like, like that? What are you looking for in people? How do you determine what's next? You know, what am I going to give up next? Right. Well, you know, I got to give my brother-in-law a lot of credit. He got me to read a book called Traction, which is EOS. And and we've begun really implementing that in our business. And in there, it talks about delegate and elevate. I mean, that's one of the big exercises that we're all working on as a leadership team right now. We're over the next two weeks, we're actually going through everything we do on a daily basis and trying to assess what we can push down to other people. So that's a fun exercise to do. I have a really great integrator for my business that I was able to hire. I've always known I needed to hire for my what my weaknesses were. And so I'm not the person who holds everybody accountable, I'm more the culture warrior, I would say, around our organization. Like I care about our employees and the experience they have. I care about our, our uh, customers and the experience they have. So that's what my focus really lies on. And so going through EOS, it it just really helped me narrow down to find the right person who melds really well with me. We're on the same page. We understand things. So I was able to pass off the day-to-day duties to him. And then we've been very fortunate to hire a really exceptional leadership team and hire, you know, the right people into the right seats, which is another part of EOS. You know, another tool that we're using is Culture Index, which has been a game changer for our business really allows us to understand who people are before we interview them to make sure that they have the right character traits for the job. And that's just been a a huge impact on our business. I can't say enough about both of those things. What is the difference between culture index and something like DISC? I've heard a lot of people talk about culture index, and I think we've looked into it here. They might be using, Mm -hmm. I don't even, they might even be using it. Yeah. So I I think the whole idea is basically the same, right? You've got the D, the I, the S, the C. And then with the, with the culture index, you have an A, B, and A, B, C, and D profile. So the A is the autonomy. The B is the social ability. The C is the, the patience. And the D is the attention to detail. And so the thing I really like about culture index that's different from DISC is we can create what's called a C job for every position or organization. And when an applicant comes in, it ranks them against the ideal for that position. And it will tell you what percentage match they are. And then overlays a graph over the existing graph to show you where the differences are between the two people. So you can see, you know, maybe you want somebody who's got a whole lot of attention to detail for a position, and it will show you how far they vary from that. And so That's like, interesting. our rule of thumb is if somebody doesn't match at least 80%, we won't even interview them. 
Uh, they just are not going to have enough of the characteristics that we're looking for to even, you know, spend the time to, to have a conversation with them. And then it measures, you know, like your ingenuity ability and your logic score, and then also what's called energy units. And, you know, we found the energy units to be really interesting. People with high energy units tend to work a lot more than people without with lower energy units. Those are usually the people that are going home right at five o'clock yeah. every day. The higher the energy unit, the longer time people will actually stick around and work a little harder. Yeah. And probably people that are very motivated by incentives as well. Yeah. You know, salespeople are always motivated by incentives. Our call center people are, show and event workers are. The everyday, you know, like office type personnel don't seem to be, and that's not really what we're focused on with them. Overall, we're, we're more focused on having a, a culture, you know, where people want to work and they want to achieve something, but they're not yeah. necessarily motivated by the money necessarily. We just had a company outing, our quarterly company outing the other night and, you know, had, had 65 people show up and, you know, bring spouses and kids and everything. And it just is a really great time to get together and bond and, and kind of promote who we are as a company. Nice. So what does that look like when you say promote who we are as a company, you get together and what happens? Do you get up and talk? Do you, what do you do? Yeah. So I give our core value speech once a quarter, get up and because we always got new people coming in. And so, you know, it's important for them to hear who we are, what our belief systems are, what our core values are. And so then we give awards around our core values. And so whoever was the best representative of one of our core values, you know, they were going to get, they all get a gift. And we try and we're trying to tailor those to, to kind of be something that's a blessing to the person, you know, based on, you know, what their needs are and what they've got going on in their life. So that was a lot of fun to do. That's the second quarterly we've done that. And uh, it just was a really great time. We, we went to Whirly Ball. I don't know if you're familiar with Whirly Ball. So it's like bumper cars meets high lie and basketball on a basketball court type deal. It's, it sounds really weird, but it's actually a lot of fun. And so yeah, it sounds, yeah. it sounds yeah. weird, but it must be fun. It is. Yeah. Everybody had a great time. But yeah, I mean, award giving awards around core values is the big thing. And so like I, I mentioned, we had four, we didn't really feel like we had anybody that represented one of our core values. So we didn't give an award around. It's, it's one of those things where we really want people to have to earn them. We're not just looking to give stuff away. Yeah. Yeah. We've been, it's funny this week with the whole culture index thing and with EOS. And for those of you that are not familiar, we've talked about EOS here. I don't know how many times more and more companies are getting onto the entrepreneurial operating system. You know, we've been on it for a little over three years. You guys just started, but it sounds like you're, you're off and running already on it, on the system. But the, the business owner, the Jerry's and the Brian's and the probably you's of the world are the visionary type. We have the ideas. We are horrible at execution and details. We hate it. And so you need a really good integrator that's going to come in and, and be a buffer between you and everybody else so that you can go kind of do your dreaming and thinking and figuring stuff out. And then let the integrator be the person that is dealing with the day-to-day of, of the business. And so one of the things that we were discussing, because out of the 12 companies, I think four of them are doing EOS and they're in different phases of like when they started doing it. There's another four that are like, they need to be on it and they want to get started on it. 
and they need integrators. And so what we were going to do, and this is interesting, what you were saying about culture index is we were going to take the four really good integrators that we have, ours and three of the other companies, and we were going to run disk profiles on all four of them and compare them. We were going to do Colby Mm -hmm. on all four of them and compare them. But maybe the culture index thing is also something we throw into the mix to see about that layering, like you said, the layering of it. That sounds yep. really interesting. I'll have to ask, I have to ask my team about that and see where we are with, with culture index. So let me ask, I'm looking at the clock. I always kind of like to ask if you, you know, what do you know now that you wish you had done sooner, you know, maybe five or six years ago? What would you do different? Or what do you know today? Hire, pe- hire people to do the things that I'm not necessarily suited to do. I would certainly hire faster, hire more people. You know, that's a hard thing to get through your mind, right? You, you view it as overhead, but it's also by not hiring, you're slowing your growth significantly. We actually just hired a, a recruiter and uh, her first job is to hire another recruiter. I mean, that's that's kind of the way we're looking at it right now is, is we need multiple recruiters to fill positions for as fast as we want to grow over the next few years. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because the fear is the money. How am mm-hmm. I going to pay for this person? And what's your answer to that? If somebody's afraid of hiring a leadership type person, somebody that's going to help them run the business, help them run sales, mm-hmm. help them run marketing. So uh, I'm going to go back to culture index because I do think that takes away a lot of the fear. For me, it just, it takes some of the uncertainty. Now, it doesn't mean that they're going to be a great hire and that they're going to, yeah. they're going to do an excellent job. It just narrows the field to where if you're only interviewing the people who fit what you're looking for, then it makes it a higher likelihood that you're going to hire the right person. Yeah. And so we, we've had a lot of success with that specifically. Now, getting people to stick around, they got to fit your culture, right? They got to fit in with everybody. You got to train them and onboard them and... I'll be the first to admit our training and onboarding hasn't been the greatest, but with EOS, that's been one of our primary focuses over the last three months is really building out our, our onboarding process. And, you know, I think if you can hire and onboard people properly, then I don't think you're really going to lose any money. Like bad hires cost you more money than just hiring somebody who's going to stick around and do the job right. So, and back to the EOS thing, you know, We've moved very rapidly with EOS, and and I'll credit that to the fact that we got a we got an implementer, implementer. not an integrator. Right. Yeah, we got an implementer, and I specifically sought out a guy. I, I told him I wanted the best guy, somebody specifically with uh, experience in our industry, and I ended up with the number one implementer in the country. Lives an hour from our office, and he owned a, a window home improvement company for ten years. So oh, wow, like he knew. He knew everything about our business. We're talking about NSLI, we're talking about lead perfection, and he knew all of these things. So it, it's been really, really great. And uh, his name's Chris Hallberg, and he has just been able to help us accelerate this whole EOS implementation into our business quickly. Yeah. EOS is game changer, isn't it? It is. I can't say enough about it. Yeah. Um, I wish I would have done it. My intention was to really start it in 2020 and then. COVID hit. And so I kind of put it on the back burner and it would have been nice to have started earlier, but I'm kind of glad it, it pushed off another year. I, I ended up with a probably a little better leadership team 
because of the way things worked out and you know, we've just been very fortunate for it to work out as well as it has for us. Yeah. You know, and what's interesting with what's going on right now with everybody's looking for people, whether you want them or not, you need them. And the thing that I think is tough is, is your company a place where people want to come and work? Is your company attractive to A players? Mm-hmm. And all the things that you've been talking about, the culture and making sure that people are the right fit and the core values and all of that. And then, of course, doing the quarterly get togethers and making people feel like they're all, you know, working towards a common and shared vision. When you've got good people out in the marketplace and you don't have a lot of those things in place, you're going to lose them to, you're going to lose the A players to Jerry. And you're going to end up with the B and the C players. Right. And so it's something that we all have to, I mean, it's something that we have struggled with a lot this year is, is just that is it, are we a place where people really want to come and work? Are we a place where people, where we're going to attract a players? Right. I mean, that was a big focus for us. And that's always been a focus for me. Like I, I want, yeah. I want my employees to want to work for us because we take care of them. Cause I truly do care. Yeah. We actually just won best place to work in Colorado Springs here about a month ago. Oh, congratulations. Um, yeah. Thank you. I, I'm pretty excited about that. You know, when you're talking about recruiting people, that's a really great you know, yeah. thing to be able to put out there and, and attract some a talent, which we had attracted some really high level a talent here recently. And that was before that. Just things are, are, you know, headed in the right direction and in having that EOS stuff in place and having your core values. And it's just, it's been really good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jerry, this has been great. It's been great catching up with you. We didn't really get too much of a chance to catch up a couple of weeks ago. And, and I'm so happy to hear about all the good stuff that's going on. I'm happy to hear about how little you're working. <laughs> and uh, how much fun you're having with you. You've earned it. You deserve it. And I'm really happy for you. And that's it, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. It was, it was a pleasure. Yeah. So to everybody listening, hope this was of value. And I thought it was, I thought it was really, really, really interesting. You learned, we learn from people that are really doing doing some things right. And there's a lot of, you know, good nuggets inside of what Jerry talked with us about and shared with us. And hopefully you were able to grab some of those out of there. So until next time, this is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group, and this is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Let me ask you, did it help you look at your business in a different way? Did it spark an idea or ideas that you hadn't thought of before? Do you have a list of action items that you can take and implement into your business or your life today? I really hope so. If it did, I'd like to ask you a favor. Would you leave a five-star review of the podcast? By doing so, you'll help other contractors find the podcast more easily so that we can help them achieve more success, wealth, and freedom. And before you go, make sure you subscribe to the Wealthy Contractor Podcast so you get access to the latest episodes as soon as they're available. We're always striving to provide you with great content so you don't want to miss what's coming up. 
In fact, if you haven't already, make sure you go to thewealthycontractor.com and get your free copy of my latest book, The Seven Secrets to Becoming a Wealthy Contractor. Just pay shipping and handling, and I'll take care of the cost of the book. So until next time, this is Brian Cascavalsian.